This is the Complete Shooter Podcast with your hosts, Jesse Armistead and the founder of Complete Shooter himself, Kirk Miles. Complete Shooter is dedicated to helping young players reach the next level and achieve all of their basketball dreams. So if you want to know what it takes to be a great player at the high school, college, and professional level, you are in the right place. Welcome back to yet another episode of our Complete Shooter Podcast. For the second week in a row, we have a special guest, um, so we're really excited. Um, as always, it's Kirk is here with me, and I'm Jesse, and we're ready to go. And today we have Coach Andrew Olson, who is the head coach for the boys basketball team at Northridge High School. So welcome, Coach Olson. We're excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to sit down and chat with you guys a bit. Awesome. So just to get started, let's have you kind of just tell everybody kind of who you are, um, your basketball career, and how you ended up where you're at now. Yeah, so uh, I started, you know, I went to high school at Roy High, so I've been in the area for some time, and then I graduated from Roy, and I wanted to be a football coach, actually, and I started coaching football at Sanders Junior High and Roy High School, and then the basketball job just kind of fell in my lap because I didn't have anybody else, Uh, so I took over, and then I quickly realized that, you know, I liked coaching basketball a little bit more than football. Um, and so I just stayed with it. I was at the junior high for about four or five years. And then I was also coaching at Roy High uh, with Mike Pusey and Dan McClure. Learned a lot from them. And then I went up to Pinnacle, which is a small 1A school in Price, Utah. I was there for two years. Um, you know, it's a, it's a different community, small town. Uh, my wife wasn't really feeling it, so we moved back up this way. And then... Uh, then I, you know, got on here at Northridge. Uh, I knew Lyndon Johnson from back when I was playing for him my sophomore year at Roy. Uh, I was a sophomore coach for him for one year. And then I deployed to Afghanistan for a year. Um, and when I got back, uh, that's when Coach Johnson decided to go coach football, Ben Lomond. And I took over uh, for him. And I, we just finished my third year here at Northridge. That's awesome. Quite the journey. For sure. Yeah, it's been fun. I've uh, been able to learn from a lot of great people, both uh, in the coaching world and, you know, some good leaders in the military. So it's been good to, you know, learn from those experiences and try to read those to my kids. Awesome. Give us a little recap of just this past season and what you're looking forward to this next season coming up. Yeah, it was good. You know, it was a, a, I feel like it was, you know, somewhat of a successful season. Everybody defines success a little bit differently. Obviously, you want to win as many games as possible and you go in with the goal of, you know, first and foremost, winning a region championship. Um, and we started the season really strong. We had a good victory against Lone Peak, which, you know, arguably could be one of the biggest victories in, in Northridge history. Um, and then we kind of hit a little bit of lull over our Christmas holiday tournament, lost some close games to some really good teams with Kearns and Snow Canyon. Um, and then, we never really could get that that mojo back that we had before Christmas break. I mean, in region, you know, we went down to 5A, so we kind of came in with high expectations. But we competed every single game. I mean, we had a lead in the fourth quarter in every game that we lost. We just couldn't quite get over the hump. But the kids played really, really hard. We were in the game, gave ourselves the opportunity to win. You know, just missed free throw here, missed open shot there. You know, ultimately it comes down to – it's a make or miss league. And, you know, we just weren't able to quite finish those things off, but we were much more competitive every single game we had a chance to win. So it was a step in the right direction. You know, the kids here learning how to compete and play hard and give themselves opportunities to win. So we're excited with the, you know, the step we took and looking forward to, you know, the group that we got coming up. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I like what you said, everybody defines success a little differently. So, um, you kind of have to find the, the bright spots and, and move forward from there. Um, Kirk, were you able to go watch any of the Northridge games? Yeah, I watched, uh, I think, three games. Um, we've been training Sam and Jack, and so I like to go watch those guys play. But um, uh, they had uh, – give us a breakdown, Coach, of your, of your age of your kids. Were you guys uh, – Besides those two, were you guys young? Were you, what was your situation this year with, uh, with your ages? 
Yeah, so we started five seniors, uh, but everybody coming off the bench was underclassmen. Um, and our five seniors, <coughs> sorry, there's the, <laughs> the school here. Um, but we started the five seniors and they they got a little bit of time as juniors. So we were we were senior heavy, but not a whole lot of experience as far as the varsity level, with the exception of Sam, who was a three-year starter for us, you know, great player, uh, leading scorer in the region just signed at Salt Lake Community College. Um, but our younger kids, you know, really came in and provided a spark off the bench. So we've got some experience coming back next year um, that we're pretty excited about. Yeah, that's kind of what I felt when I when I watched uh, some of the games that uh, you were kind of senior laden with your starters and then you had kids coming off the bench. So, so yeah, it was... Uh, it was a good year and going down to 5A, do you think that was a, what, do you think that was a plus for you guys or do you wish you would have stayed in 6A? Yeah, I definitely think it was a plus. I mean, just, you know, Northridge is uh, interesting as far as how our boundaries work. We've got, you know, we've got the enrollment that was close to some 6A schools, but we were the smallest 6A school in the state last year. Oh, okay. But if you look at yeah, if you look at numbers wise as far as participation goes, you know we only have on average the past three years about forty kids try out for basketball, um, so we just don't have the participation numbers that that some of those six A schools have. So I definitely think it was a good fit for us to move down to five A. Yeah, that's uh, uh, I I felt that it was uh, a a good move for you guys, and I think that you guys were really uh be able to compete and be one of the stronger teams in 5a going forward yeah yeah we're excited um you know we've got some good young kids coming up and like i said we were competitive in every single game and it's it's a little bit different game in region five versus region one region one was a little more you know fast paced get up and down the floor and region five it was a little bit more of a, a grind you know longer possessions and so you know it was a different, somewhat of a different game, you know, getting kids used to play to that. And so we can kind of, you know, focus on some different things. And so it was an adjustment, but I think moving forward, it's going to be really good. And that, I think the shot clock coming up is going to level the playing field a little bit with some of those teams where, you know, coaches want to call a set every single play. It's, it's going to limit that a little bit. Yeah, there's a lot of coaches, I think, that are going to have to make a huge adjustment uh, with that because they're, uh, both some coaches are real control freaks and want to control everything. Other coaches are more loose. And I think the coaches that are more loose is going to fit into the shot clock a little better than those coaches that are so, um, you know, anal about every possession. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, the way I look at it is, you can teach your kids to be robots and run plays, or you can teach them to play basketball. And, you know, obviously we're going to work on things and spacing and practice, but we try to give them freedom to read the defense and go be a basketball player. And, you know, it might be a four second possession or it might be a 30 second possession, but you, you take what the defense gives you. And ultimately, you know, you run plays to get an open shot. And if you get it four seconds in, you may not get another one. So you might as well take, you know, what the defense gives you. Yeah, being shooting, being shooting coaches, we're really excited about uh, the shot clock because we think it's going to give kids more opportunities to showcase, you know, their talents and what they've what they've been working on uh, in the off season. So, yeah, absolutely, I definitely think it's going to be good for the game. You know, it's going to going to limit the foul barrage at the end of the game sometimes. And, you know, if you can play good defense, you're in the game. Um, and, you know, it's going to open up, like you said, for kids to, you know, showcase their talents a little bit more. So I'm excited to see, you know, what kids take that seriously and how it works out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So as far as, um, like you mentioned, giving your kids freedom, I'm interested, how do you coach that in a way that you can kind of maybe not control how they learn. Um, Cause obviously you don't just want to throw them out there and say, play a lot and expect them to learn. Right. So how do you kind of coach that without coaching it? If that makes sense. Yeah. So we do a lot of drills um, just focus on spacing. Right. So you're essentially, you're reading the defense, but you're kind of reading what the guy does with the ball and based upon what he does, it's going to, you know, there's some guidelines as to, 
spacing requirements, where you should float to, you know, find the open window. And, and then once, if you are the guy with the ball and you drive and attack, if you get cut off, where is that help coming from? And that should allow you to read, okay, the help came from my two guard. I know that based upon that, he should be floating to this open window. And hopefully, you know, you just give them guidelines and teach good spacing and practice. And then it gives them the freedom to not, hey, you have to go from point A to point B. But if you can learn how to read the defense, you should know where your guy is going to be at. That's awesome. And is that, do you usually do those drills in like five on five, or do you sometimes break it down to like two on two, three on three, stuff like that? Yeah. So we kind of use like the whole part whole method, right? So we'll bring, you know, five guys together and talk about, okay, this is what it's supposed to look like, you know, and just kind of walk through it. And then we break it down into some two man drills and then some three man drills and just keep progressing it. Then we go back and bring it all back together. Five on zero, a lot of five on zero. And then once I feel like we've mastered, okay, just the basic spacing, you know, equal spacing between the ball and the next guy, um, then we can start throwing defenses in and now learning how to read the defense along with your offensive spacing. That's awesome. And the reason I ask is I feel like most of the kids that I train, it's usually they spend their time either in a full five on five situation or by themselves individual workouts and there's none of that in between and I know that was one of the things that struck me when I met Kirk was he was big on the the one-on-one two-on-two three-on-three stuff as far as learning um, when I always thought that was just more for fun um, so I yeah. think that's interesting interesting point that most people don't don't think about yeah I think three-on-three is one of the most underrated things we try to do as many three-on-three things as we can even if we don't have a lot of rules, you know, three on three cutthroat drills or just three on three basketball, because it's going to teach you how to move without the basketball, right? If you yeah. just stand around and wait for something to happen, you're pretty easy to defend. So three on three, you've got to learn to pass and screen away, you know, back cut if you're being overplayed. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that I got from Quincy Lewis up at Lehigh. Um, I've met with him a couple times over the over the past couple of years um, since he left BYU and he really emphasized they do a lot of three on three stuff. And I've definitely implemented that and seen some, some progress by doing so. That's awesome. Um, Kirk, do you do that with our AU stuff? Yeah. Yeah. We do a lot of three on three because really when you think about it, the uh, depending, depending on what side of the court, the ball is on, it's really a, it's really a three on three game you know because if uh if you're on the if you're on the right side of the of the court you've got you know you got somebody in the base you got somebody on the wing you got a point you know so you're really breaking that down to three on three anyway uh in a game you know uh and you try to keep the the offside away from everything so it opens up and you you got open you know you keep the middle clean so that kids can attack the basket and everything else but yeah, so we do a lot of we do a lot of three on three stuff and isolation and uh, with three on three. So yeah. And um, coach, how do you? Because there's the the spacing part of it, right? Which is kind of the <clears throat> basketball IQ um, stuff like that, making good decisions. How do you balance that with just pure skill development as far as learning how to dribble, learning how to shoot? How do you balance that in your in your practice? Is that something you emphasize a lot or do you kind of just put that on the players to go do on their own yeah we emphasize it you know ideally we wouldn't have to teach a ton of that in practice because they would come to us with those skills already um, but you know the junior high system the coaches you know they do the best they can they do a good job but there just isn't the time for them to dedicate to develop players at a very very high rate and their season is so short so there's some limiting factors there. So we definitely do in the off season, you know, when we do our open gyms, we spend a portion of our time just working on basic fundamentals. Um, you know, we usually spend half our time in our open gyms on fundamental work, you know, drill work, setting screens, how to read screens, things like that. And then we'll break it down and spend, you know, uh, about half the time with three on three, five on five, you know, going through some sets and things like that. But the off season is primarily skill development. And then once we get into the season, you know, obviously we're game planning and things like that. And we try to encourage kids to 
go get work on their own. Um, you know, and there's some kids that they've got trainers and, you know, I can talk to those trainers and know what they're doing, but there's a large portion of kids that you don't really know what they're doing on their own. So if, you know, to ensure that they're doing it, we've, we've got to put in the time as coaches to try to help develop those skill sets as well. And what are those fundamental skills that you look for? Like if a player was coming in for the first time, what are those main skills you're looking to see that they can perform? So we want to like, we want to become a very disciplined program, um, you know, jump, stop, bounce, pass, you know, not leaving, not getting caught in the air too much, you know, cause you limit your options. You really don't have tons of options when you, you leave your feet to pass, you know, you've already got your mind made up. So we really focus on jump, stop, bounce, pass. Obviously we want the kids to be able to handle the ball really well. Um, you know, it's funny, the further we go into this, you know, year by year, it seems like kids, they can all shoot it, you know, to a certain extent, but not many kids can handle the ball as well as they need to. Everybody, you know, you go to a gym and the first thing you see a kid do is pick up a ball and start jacking up threes like Steph Curry. Um, so we want to make sure they can handle it with both their left and right hand, obviously, you know, that's a given. Um, but we get kids that their left hand isn't where it needs to be. So we've got to really focus on that. And then even defensive fundamentals, right? Getting low, getting in a defensive stance and kids, they can slide, but are they pointing their toe? That's going to make them back much quicker. You know, their plant foot, are they able to explode off it or is it just a slow transition? So we want defensive sides. We want to be able to handle the ball because, you know, we don't want, you know, a guy that's a post player only. We think everybody should be able to play all five spots to a certain extent. So, you know, all five guys need to be good passers. They need to be good ball handlers because you make yourself that much more of a threat on the court. Yeah, definitely going towards that positionless basketball. Uh, and I think the shot clock's going to be a, a big part of that too going forward as far as having everybody be able to, to take that shot if there's only five seconds left, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like I said, everybody, if, if it comes four seconds in, you know, we don't want it to be like, oh, it's th this guy's left open for a reason, right? Everybody needs to be a threat on the court. So you make all five guys have to defend. You know, if you got a guy that's a liability offensively, they only really got to defend four guys. So we need everybody to be a threat. Um, so kind of kind of going off of that, um, it just maybe I think I thought about my couple of years at Northridge. So I graduated in 2013, um, played at Northridge under Coach Sims. So my junior year, our team averaged about I think 44 points a game, which was pretty low. Um, but our defense held the other team to 42 points a game. Once I got to my senior year, we had some seniors graduate. And the next year, I think we averaged 65 points a game and allowed 60 something points a game. So it was a total shift in kind of philosophy and, and stuff like that. Um, how much have you seen of that from year to year? How much do you have to change as far as um, coaching philosophy and how you try and do things on the court? Yeah, I think you definitely have to take your personnel into account, right? You get different players every year. It's not college where you can recruit kids to fit your style. You get what you get and you've got to shift gears a little bit, tweak things a little bit to fit your personnel. You don't have to completely sell your identity, you know, defense, you know, if you're a team that prides yourself on defense, you don't have to be the most athletic, strongest team to play defense. That's kind of a mindset. So I don't feel like you have to shift your defensive identity too much, but offensively, you know, that can change year to year based upon personnel. And we, we have shifted somewhat, you know, my first year here, we were really, really small, but we were really quick. So we got up and down the floor really fast. It was a transition game, but it also led to a lot of turnovers um, just because we were playing so fast, which we, you know, you expect that you're going to turn over a little bit more, but, you know, we've slowed down a little bit just based upon our personnel. We, we had a little bit more size come in and, you know, we've decreased our turnovers. You know, my first year we were at 18 turnovers a game and this year we were only at nine. So we've decreased our turnovers by playing a little bit slower um, and trying to be a little bit more selective um, with the shots that we take, you know, if it's open, we obviously want them to take it, but we don't want, hurried or rushed or contested shots. Um, so you got to kind of 
reel that in a little bit based on your personnel. You know, Sam, he's a kid that can elevate and, you know, really get a shot off whenever he wants. So if he's got it going, you know, or you got a guy like that, he's got some freedom to take that shot. But, you know, some of the other guys that, you know, they shoot a slower set shot, you know, you've got to be a little bit more selective. Yeah, for sure. Um, and going along with that, how do you kind of help define roles for your players and how do those roles change throughout a season? Yeah, so we sit down with each kid um, and say, hey, this is kind of what we expect from you. You know, we do that at the beginning of the season. And as we start to see, you know, players perform, are they fulfilling that role? Are they not fulfilling that role? Why is it? So then we'll meet with them again and kind of, you know, get their viewpoints on how they think they're performing. And, you know, if they're, you know, maybe not filling the role to what we expected, we'll ask them why they think that is. Are there, you know, factors that, you know, are put in play by us? Are there factors from your teammates? And, and we try to define it, but not limit them, right? Like we want everybody to play a role, but it's not like, hey, you're a defensive stopper only, you don't shoot the ball. We want, we want them to be confident to be able to take a shot when they're open, um, but also understand, hey, you may not get as many shots as the other guy, you know? Um, so we have roles, but it's positionless basketball in the sense too, to where you're not limited, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so say you're getting through the season, um, a player isn't happy with their role or their playing time. Um, what would you hope that they do? Like what best case scenario, what do they do? Do they come to you um, and just ask what the heck's going on? Um, do they just work through it? What would you hope that um, a player would do if they're frustrated with their role? Yeah, I definitely want an open line of communication. Um, I think some of it can be alleviated right from the start, right? If you give your expectations, nobody should be wondering what is my role, right? I feel like if a kid doesn't know what his role is, then that's my fault, right? I haven't been clear enough. And if they're not happy with their role, then yeah, I want them to come tell me, hey, I don't know if this is the best fit, but give me a reason why. Uh, and then we can work through it together. But to just sit there and be unhappy with playing time or what your role is and, you know, you sit there and murmur things to your parents or on the bench, that's not healthy for anybody. So I, I definitely want them to feel comfortable coming and talk to me. Um, and then we can have an open line of communication as to what that role is and what they think it should be. And I can either agree or disagree with it. But, you know, I think a lot of that alleviates itself as well if you you got buy-in, right? When we talk about yeah. philosophy and culture, um, there's a lot of coaches, and even in the business world, there's a lot of companies that they'll tell you right from the start, this is what our philosophy is, this is what our culture is, and they just continually tell you what it is, but then it doesn't feel like that what it is, right? I feel like your culture is something more of what you feel when you walk in. What is it really? And you can come walk in any gym in the state of Utah, and you can get a feeling of what that culture is without somebody having to tell you what it is. And if you can, you know, if you can develop that feeling within your program, a lot of those issues are going to go away because you know you've got buy-in from everybody in the program. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so last week we talked with um, Coach Pugmire, who's the head coach at Cedar Valley, and he was kind of in an interesting situation where both programs that he was the head coach at, he was the very first coach at that school, so they didn't have any history or anything. Um, and I think you kind of have a different experience as far as being part of programs that have been around for a while, um, being coaching at a military academy. Um, so what do you think is kind of the biggest thing as far as coming into a school that has some history or a previous culture? Um, and what's your goal when you come into a new school as far as building the culture to where you want it to be? Yeah. So every situation is a little bit different. Like here at Northridge, you know, it's, there's definitely a history in basketball. You know, the school's been open for 30 some odd years, but there hasn't been a lot of success, right? There's three region championships in basketball, zero state championships in 30 some odd yeah. years. So I think you definitely have to put your stamp on it. And like I said, it, 
you come in and you set the standards early on and you've got to be consistent. You've got to be consistent. You've got to hold the kids accountable. And if, like I said earlier, you can say what it is all you want, but if you don't actually behave based upon what your statement is, people are going to see right through that, right? So you set a standard and then you just create the feeling and the culture by the way that the kids are acting, by the way the coaches are acting. Uh, you know, when we took over, um, there were there were some issues in the program and we've worked really, really hard to alleviate some of those things. And the wins obviously aren't coming as fast as we'd like, but you can definitely see a shift in the way the kids are behaving and how the kids are going about their business in the classroom, in the community. And you can definitely feel it starting to build in, in a positive light. But I think it all starts with not telling kids what it is, but emulating what that is and just creating that feeling that they know, hey, when we come in here, these are the expectations and I'm not going to get away with anything. You know, we've lost some kids in the program over the years uh, just because we have high standards and we don't bend those standards. You know, obviously we're going to help those kids try to get there, but we're going to stay true to what we believe. How has your uh, military background helped you with your uh, coaching? Yeah, it's definitely, you know, in the military, we have, we have standards, we have ways of go, going about doing things that it, there's no, there's no gray area. It's black or it's white. Um, and, you know, I am dealing with high school kids. I'm not dealing with military kids. So you got to adjust it a little bit, but there's definitely high expectations and there's high accountability and there's consequences for certain actions. And we deal with those consequences and kids know that there's going to be consequences. And it's, it's a pretty, everything we do is pretty organized and pretty regimented, right? Um, so there's no questioning is how does coach Olson operate? They know how I operate. And I think that gives them, you know, a sense of, I don't know what the word is, but they know what to expect, right? Things are organized and there's, there's no questioning on, hey, can I get away with this? Or am I going to, is he going to let this slide? Or, you know, our best player, he's going to get away with more things there, but we have the same rules for everybody. It doesn't matter if you're the starting guy or the guy at the end of the bench. And they know that and they expect that. Yeah, the uh, uh, people ask me, you know, what's the secret to success? And I think it's, I think it boils down to one principle, and that's discipline. Uh, and uh, because to be successful, you know, you got to be willing to do the thing that sometimes you don't feel like doing, but you're disciplined and you do it anyway. And so being disciplined, and I know in the military, um, uh, discipline is a very important principle. And so being able to bring your experience there and bring discipline to that program, the biggest thing I've seen in the last three years uh, from where, where the program was to where the program is today, I would say that that, that principle of discipline has been applied at Northridge High School in a big way. So that's the thing that I've seen over the last three years. So you know, you're to, be, you're to be commended for bringing that to the program. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's, it's funny when you mentioned the word discipline. Uh, I feel like the word has been hijacked to mean something that it doesn't. You know, usually when people think of the word discipline, a lot of people think of negative, right? Like, hey, it's a consequence. Or they think something. you're in trouble or something. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, when really discipline is you know, staying dedicated to something and doing something when you don't always feel like it, right? Putting your head down, going to work, holding yourself accountable and continuing to persevere through adversity, um, no matter what the circumstances. So yeah, discipline's a big part in our program, you know, just getting kids to realize that they've got to just continue to grind. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you mentioned there were, you lost a couple kids. Um, <clears throat> how have you dealt with the pushback as far as building a new culture. Cause some kids aren't usually aren't for it when you come in and change things. Um, so how much pushback did you get and how did you kind of deal with that? Um, yeah, it was interesting. So initially, you know, my first year, there wasn't really any pushback at all. They were, kids were very excited. Um, and 
know, they were, they were ready for change. And so they were excited about that, you know, but as you come in, not every single individual is going to be that way. And that first group I had my first year, they were the same kids that I coached when, when I was the sophomore coach. So I had previous relationships with them. They already knew what to expect. Then the next group coming in, they, it was a little bit of a culture shock for them, you know, uh, and we had some kids that moved in um, and they, they, they didn't understand why I did the things that I did initially because they hadn't been a part of the program. And so I think that's one thing that I've had to learn is, hey, you don't only tell kids what your expectations are. You got to explain the why. Right. And so, you know, yeah. there was a, yeah, there was a, there was a certain group that they didn't understand the why. So there was some pushback from the kids. There wasn't any pushback from parents or any faculty at the school or community or anything like that. Um, and ultimately, you know, those kids washed themselves out and the kids that truly understand the why and buy into the why those are the kids that we want to work with. And those are the kids that are going to prove to be successful. I know Kirk, you've talked a lot about how it used to be the, the what, right. That kids needed to understand. And now it's the, the why you might tell them exactly what they need to do, but they'll just be like, why? Yeah. When I played, uh, if a coach told you to do something, you just did it. You never, you never asked why ever. And then I got into the coaching world and my first coaching job that I had, it was coaching a freshman, some freshman girls. It was my first uh, high school job that I got. And so I was telling the kids what to do. And I was getting all these kids asking, well, why do we have to do that? Why are we doing that? And at first it really bugged me. It really made me mad. But then I understood that in today's youth, they need to be told why. And so when I would explain a drill, I'd also explain why, or if I explained a rule, I'd also explain why. And so I think that's the point that you've just made coach is that, you know, the why has got to be in there with along with the, what you want them to do, but why do you want them to do it? So, yeah, that's for, that's definitely how it is today. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it applies on the court and off the court, right? Like, you know, our, our goal is to win a region championship every year, like everybody else. And I know everybody says, Hey, we want to develop great young men and make them better people and stuff. But we really take pride in doing that here at Northridge, you know, with my military background, I'm trying to provide them skills that, yeah, we want you to be a better basketball player, but what can you take with you when basketball's gone? Right. Amen. And that's absolutely, we take that seriously, which is why we have such high expectations and, you know, kids are like, well, why do I have to have a 2.5 instead of a 2.0, right? And we've got to explain to them, well, it's because, you know, when you're going to be competitive for jobs, yeah, they're not going to look at your GPA, but you're going to develop habits. They're going to separate you from other candidates, you know, et cetera, things like that. So understanding why we have high expectations for them in the classroom and just as people in the community so that they can be successful when basketball is not around anymore. Exactly. The life lessons that uh, you learn from playing sports and playing basketball is what really goes with you that helps you be successful in all areas of your life as you're moving forward. Um, I was talking, I was listening on the radio the other day. They were, they were interviewing the new USC coach. Uh, let's see, Lincoln, what's his? Lincoln Riley? Football. Yeah, football. And they said what they said to him, they said, you know what? What are you, what do you bring to the table that the previous coaches at USC have not brought to the table that you think is going to make uh, this program get back to its, its, uh, its storied program uh, history? And it was really interesting what he said. He said, you know what? We are all about championships. That's all we, that's all we think about. All we think about all the time is championships and we don't lower our, we don't lower our level for anyone, anybody. We just think about championships and uh, the commentator um, after he got off, made some comments about that, where a lot of programs will say, 
you know, we, we just want to be able to compete or we just want to be able to do this or we just want to be able to do that. And very few will go out there on a limb and say, you know, we're about championships. That's if we don't, if, if we don't win a championship, you know, there's region championships, there's state championships, but we're about championships. How do you feel about uh, those comments that would, was made by him as being the coach at Northridge High School? Yeah, I think, you know, you're going to get what you place your emphasis on. And so if he's emphasizing championships, he's going to have guys that strive to get that. Uh, but at the same time, you got to take into consideration what situation you're in. Everybody's in a different situation. USC is a storied program and they, you know, they're going to get for the most part, the recruits that they want to be able to do that. Um, and, you know, you go to a school like Lone Peak or, you know, Lehigh or Olympus and some of those, yeah, you can probably say, Hey, we care about championships because they have that story history, but you got to take baby steps um, when you're, you know, taking over a program that maybe doesn't have that rich history and eventually here at Northridge, we would love to say, hey, every single year, our goal is a state championship, but it's not going to happen overnight, right? You can't, you know, you can, you can get to, you can't get to the top of the ladder in one step, but you can get to the bottom of the ladder in one step. So it's taking baby steps. And ultimately that's going to be our goal is every year we want to win a state championship, but we've got to take baby steps towards doing that. Yeah. The first thing you have to do is win a region championship, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the first championship you got to focus on is, is the region championship. And if you, if you build successful program where every year you're, you're region champs, then every year you're going to have a shot at winning state. So, you know, getting that first step done is winning, winning region championships, I think would be the first thing to focus on. Right. Yeah. hundred percent, which, you know, it's funny Lincoln Riley says every, every, you know, year we won a national championship, anything's a failure. I don't think he's won a national championship at, at Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But I think it's a mindset. I think that's the point that he, that he was making is it's a mindset that you have to have. Uh, if you're ever going to compete and you're ever going to win a championship, you got to have that mindset, I guess, is what he was referring to. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny, I look at Urban Meyer in his time at Ohio State, he kind of had the same philosophy day one. It was all about Michigan. We are never losing to Michigan. Everything in Ohio State's facilities was about beating Michigan. And Jim Harbaugh was like, oh, it's just another game. You know, yeah, it's rivalry, but we're going to treat it like any other game. And Urban Meyer never lost to Michigan. And it wasn't until last year when Jim Harbaugh finally realized that, hey, we better place a little bit more emphasis on this game. And it's not just another game. And they placed more emphasis on it in that off season and ultimately you know, ended up beating them this year. I think that's a great point right there. Really a great point. Um, yeah. So it's a mindset, I think is what, is what we're, is what we're kind of saying here is you got to have a mindset. So. And I think it's, it's kind of a, a paradox you could say as far as you set these goals out in the future, but the only way to get there is focusing on what's right now. And so, right, you can't worry about the state championship game until you get to the state playoffs, and you can't worry about that until you win your next game, right? Um, and same thing with, with shooters, right? If they're worried about scoring 20-something points a game and the game just started but they're worried about the 20th point, then they'll never get there, right? So taking it step by step, I think that's the second week in a row we've heard that ladder quote. Yeah, yeah, I, th I like so, that too. Yeah, I don't. Did you get that from Quincy Lewis by chance? I may have. I I heard it somewhere and it stuck with me. I thought it was really good. I've been using it ever since. It could have been from Quincy. I'm just. I think it was Coach Pugmire and he he coached with Quincy Quincy too. So, yeah, probably yeah, could, be. could be run around those coaching circles. But um, kind of along with that, what's one lesson about coaching that you learned from one of your mentors? Yeah, consistency. I think consistency in everything you do. Um, kids are gonna, kids are gonna. If you're all over the place, right? And one year, you know, you've got one objective, 
as far as how you operate, right? And every year you're changing or even game to game. Oh, we're going to implement a new offense this game. We're going to implement a new offense next game. And we've got to put in all these different sets every game, depending on who our opponent is. Kids are going to be all over the place, right? They need consistency in their everyday life. They need consistency on the basketball court, as well as just be you, right? There's so many great coaches out there. And you can go to all these coaches clinics in the world and pick up on all these different styles and philosophies. And if you try to be somebody else, kids are going to see through that as well. So you've got to, you know, take things that may apply to your program, may apply to you, but ultimately you've got to be yourself and you've got to be you. You can't be anybody else. Be true to yourself. Yep. That's, that's great advice. Um, so I have this question and then I have a follow-up question that's similar. Um, but when a player, say a player is moving in, um, they come to meet with you, what do you tell them they need to do to be successful in your program? So first and foremost, I would say you've got to implement yourself fully with the guys, right? You can't be an outsider. I know you're a new kid coming in, but you've got to fully embrace the team, the family, the atmosphere, right? Um, you know, from Eric, when Eric Thompson was in Northridge, I coached football with him for a little bit. And he had the saying, family, forget about me, I love you, right? So you've got to totally embrace that, that you are now a part of this program and you can't sit here and compare it to where you've been in the past. It's a totally different situation and you've got to embrace it for what it is. So that's the biggest thing is you've got to embrace the situation you're in and the guys you're going to be competing with. But then the second thing is, you've got to put in the work, right? You're not going to be just handed an opportunity no matter who you are. You could be a kid that has more talent than anybody else in our program currently. But if you come in here, these other kids have put in tons of work that I've seen firsthand. I don't know what kind of work you've put in. Um, so you've got to put in the work and prove to the coach, prove to yourself, prove to your teammates that you're going to fit in and you're going to do the things necessary to be a part of this program. And then the follow-up question is, um, like with seniors who are leaving your program, um, whether they're going off to play college or going off to do something else, um, what's your, your parting advice for your seniors? Yeah, so we have this tradition here that we started when I took over. Um, every, every senior night before their last game, I have all the underclassmen write a letter to the seniors as to what they meant to them as an individual, what they feel like that senior mm. meant to the program. Um, and then I write a letter to them as well. Um, and I thank them for everything they've done for the program. But I also tell them, hey, you're always a part of the Northridge family. You're always welcome here to come back. You know, you've done a lot for the program and you'll be a knight forever, right? So I try to give them, once again, just give them that security that, hey, they are a family. And just because they're graduating, doesn't mean they're away from that family. They can always come back here when they need. But then I also encourage them to remember the things that we did in the program that try to help them prepare them for the future as far as being good people in the community, being nice to people, treating people with respect, working together for a common goal, because um, that's going to serve them well in the future. So just remember the core beliefs that we have of, of a program with you know, relentless effort, competitive excellence, and power of the unit. And if you have those three things, which we believe are going to make you successful on the court, they'll make you successful off the court as well. That's awesome. I love that. I love that, that you have uh, the underclassmen write them a letter to let them know what, what they meant to them. And then you write that letter. I think that is just so powerful. And that's something that kids will keep as keepsakes for a long, long time. And sometimes when maybe they're having a down day, they pull that out and read it and what that can do for them. So I, I really, really uh, applaud you for, for doing that with your players. I think that's really an awesome tradition. Yeah, it's fun. I think they like it. The underclassmen, you know, they like being able to tell the seniors how they really feel. Um, you know, I always tell the kids, unless you win a state championship or region championship, when you look back on your high school days, you're not going to always just remember the games you played in. You're going to remember the times in the locker rooms and on the bus with the guys. Um, so just having that message from them that they can always draw back on, I think is, is a fun experience for them. Yeah, it's really powerful. It really is. Yeah. And I think 
just kind of reflecting on what we talked about today and what we talked about last week and um, with any other coaches, you know, it's um, the first thing is, is never about talent. Right. And I think being successful at the, at the high school level is all about your work ethic and how hard you're willing to work and the work you put in. Uh, once you get to like pro level, there's some talent differential that you need to have um, to be successful there. But as far as the high school level, um, I don't know anybody that couldn't be successful if they put in the work and worked hard. Um, and I think that's kind of the main thing I've taken away from, from our conversation today and um, with our other coaches. Um, Kirk, what were some things that, that you learned today? Yeah, I think that's uh, the big thing. I mean, we always talk to our players uh, that we train about you separate yourself by, you know, by your hard work. And I've always said to people that the difference between the great high school player and the average high school players, the great high school players done more individual workouts than what the average players done. And uh, so that's really the, the theme of complete shooter of complete shooter. Our theme is, is always talking to kids about working hard because we, you know, we work on having kids come and do a lesson. When they come do a lesson with us, we work on the four ways of scored in a game so that kids could be multidimensional, not one dimensional. So we work really hard on that, but those kids that put the work in, they really, really excel uh, at, at the game. And so that, uh, philosophy of, of being a hard worker is, is, is I think, and then that goes with them, you know, if they learned that in, in a sport, then that's going to go with them in, in their career. I heard once somebody said that you can beat 90% of, of, uh, everybody out there in whatever field you're in, you can beat 90% of the people by hard work. And uh, I really believe that the other 10% you, you, you beat by having a, a system that you believe in. So if you work hard and have a system you believe in, you can beat 100% of the people out there. So just stressing that with the kids that we train and our job, we feel like our job is to take and uh, um, give high school coaches, because uh, you're only as good as your feeder program. And so we feel like that we can be one of those feeder programs where we can help kids really excel and be multidimensional. And the only way they're going to do that is by, is by working hard. And one of the things that I really like about our podcast is that when we talk to coaches such as yourself uh, and any coach we talk to, that's the main thing. One of the main things that they bring up and talk about is teaching kids how to work hard. And that's tough in today's world to get kids to buy into that. But if they do, great things can happen. So I, I, I really like that, that uh, Jesse of being able to continue to talk to kids about working hard. And I'm sure coach, you would love if kids got to your program and you didn't have to teach them about working hard, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think you hit it head on what separates an average high school player from a, a great high school player is the hard work. And, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier is explaining the why to kids, right? Why is it necessarily necessary that they work so hard? And I think you guys do a really good job of explaining the why to them. And you've got, you know, numerous success stories of guys you worked with that can vouch for the hard work they put in, whether it be with you or just on their own. And I think everybody may define hard work differently, right? Some kids think they're working hard, but they're really not. So mm -hmm. you guys being able to say, hey, this is what hard work is. This is how you work hard. I think it pays dividends for kids moving forward. And the more kids that can jump on that wagon, um, the more successful programs are going to be out there. Yeah, for sure. All right. Before we, we let you go and get you out of here, um, any last, I guess, words of advice for kids in your program, kids that are going to come into your program, or really just any kid in general that wants to, to be successful? Yeah, just going off of what we talked about, you know, you've got to work hard and you've got to buy in to what it takes to be a high caliber athlete. You know, the days are over when you just show up, you know, for practice and that's enough. Right. I can't remember where I, I can't remember what the exact number is, but kids don't get that many shots up in practice. Right. Um, probably around 
30 to 50, somewhere in that range. Yeah, I was going to say probably around 50 shots that they're getting up in practice. That's nowhere near enough to become a good shooter, right? So they've got to put in the hard work and you've got to be able to demonstrate that you're capable. Um, tryouts don't start November 11th or whatever day it is. You know, tryouts are in the off season and coaches are watching everything you do and who's putting in the time. Uh, so, you know, the more work you put in, the better off you're going to be moving forward to give yourself a chance to compete. Absolutely. Um, thank you again, Coach Olson, for getting on with us in the, the middle of a school day and sharing these thoughts with us. We appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. Yeah, Coach, thanks for getting on. One of the great things that I appreciate about uh, being in the business that I'm in is it's all about building relationships uh, with kids and building relationships with coaches. And I really uh, look forward to being able to work with you and build a great relationship with you and try to help you in any way that we can, that we can help you. So I really appreciate you uh, not only having that attitude, because some coaches have a real ego and they're not, uh, they're not willing to have anybody come in from outside or anything like that. So really appreciate your attitude with that. And then having uh, uh, just build a relationship with, uh, with you and we've got your kid in our program and building a relationship with him. I think that's what it's all about. So we really appreciate you getting on our, our weekly podcast and you've shared some real gold nuggets. That's going to help. That's going to help kids know how to get better. Yeah, I appreciate Appreciate the relationship as well. I've seen firsthand what you can do with some of my players we've had in the past. And, you know, I know that I don't have all the answers and I don't necessarily even have the time to put into it all the time so appreciate you guys willing to help our kids out and like you said my son's in your program and he loves it has a great time and he's already you know coming home talking about what he's worked on and how he's become a better player so look forward to keeping working with you in the future okay thanks so much coach thanks again bright things ahead i think for the northridge program um, so we're grateful again for coach olson for jumping on here and thank you everybody for listening we'll catch you guys next week